Howdy gamers, it's Layton here from Layton Night, the podcast that you're currently listening to in case you accidentally stumbled upon this, in which case I am sorry, but just wanted to let you know that there is a video version of this episode that is up on our Patreon for all tiers. So if you want to join us over there, depending on the tier, you can get all sorts of cool benefits. We do mini-sodes every week. We do some fun videos. Uh, you get access to our fan discord and overall it's a really lovely time and we would love to have you there. So without any further ado, here is the audio version of this episode. So if you want to do the video version, you can go to patreon.com slash late night or not it's really whatever floats your boat. Anyway, episode. We were talking about Starry. This is important. Oh yes. So <laughs> this is so important that you're like, let's let's wait to talk about. <laughs> let's it. save it for the pod. Well, it's it's because we never have anything prepared. So anything that might be a potential topic of discussion, I grab onto it because it might be something we can actually right, talk right. about. You're the Kaiser Soze of uh, podcasts. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Uh, 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 Starry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that thing in the background. <laughs> I had never heard of Starry before, I think three days ago. And oh. we took Audrey to see the new Spider-Man movie. And at the movie theater, she got a Starry. And I was like, what the? It's a major brand like <laughs> You yelled thing, at what right? the fuck did you just yeah. <laughs> Shit out of here. <laughs> what is Starry? I've never heard of this until. Thank right you. Now. Thank you. Fucking thank you. Chris, what's Starry? Starry is Sprite. The end. Yes. <laughs> okay. Pepsi discontinued Slice. Oh, okay. This is <laughs> wow. the missing piece of the puzzle. Yes. This I didn't realize. So it replaced Slice. It's a different thing. It's not like a renamed Slice. No, but I mean, it's literally the same thing. Like Sprite, 7-Up. Slice. They're all the same. And this right. is now a new one. And they always brand them green and yellow. Like it's it's just funny to me. It's like literally the same stuff, except that this is for Gen Z, I think. Oh, I see. Which is why I'm not supposed to be drinking it. Oh my God. That's literally <laughs> this is literally what it says in the description if you want to buy it. Introducing the next choice of the new generation. Starry, TM, lemon lime flavored soda, made to speak to Gen Z. It says made to yeah. speak to Gen Z. Yeah. That's appalling. And that's why I feel such a connection to it. Yeah, right. As someone yes. who's Gen Z. All of us Gen Zers <laughs> here. So, I mean, you know, these lemon-lime drinks have always been green and yellow. But this one is green and yellow and black. <gasps> a stark black. And right. so that makes it, you know, kind of edgy. and To appeal to Gen Z's nihilism. That's right. <laughs> yeah, Making that's it right. a little goth. I mean, mostly I got this because it was like on sale at Walmart wow. <laughs> when I was passing through a Walmart <laughs> around 4th of July time. But I mean, it could be that I'm Gen Z and, and uh, you know, I love this stuff. No cap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's the right response here? Bet, I believe. Bet. Really hit the T on bet too. Bet. Let's fucking go. He's just like me for real, for real. Actually, let's fucking go on the previous episode of this show, which hasn't come out yet. Let's fucking go features extensively. Uh -huh. so this is two Yikes. weeks of let's Is this the one go. that I'm not on? Yes. This is what happens when I'm not here. <laughs> yes. 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 
all this bro talk comes in. When the actual Zoomer is not here to control the conversation and prevent right. violations of the Geneva Convention, like Brian <laughs> at age 40. Are you 48 or 49 now? I'm 48. 48 now. I okay. recently turned 48. I'm on the other side, Brian. Hell yeah. I'll see you in a couple of years. <laughs> Wait, are you past 50? Uh-huh. Turned 50 about two months ago. Oh, nice. Congrats. How's it feel? Oh, it feels great. <laughs> no, well, you look amazing, of course. Thank you. Yeah. Did think you were uh, like slightly younger than I was, but I don't know oh. why I thought that. I mean, probably because you're more accomplished and have, <laughs> have multiple careers. <laughs> I mean, come on, Chris. We just talk about the decade ages so much. Yeah. So you inevitably get this feeling of like, wait, what's it? But I do feel actually physically fine, but I feel definitely the sense of like, oh, there's no question that I'm old now. Like when you're yep. 30, Same. you're like, I'm old. And yes. people are like, shut up. You're not old. And then when you, and then people stop saying that more over the years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> After a while, they're just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once, once you hit like 45, which is, I guess by some definition, not old, right? Then you, you, I think, I think you're legitimately like small, small O old. Yes. And then it feels like only five years later, then you're definitely old. Yeah. I literally signed up for the AARP. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but, but by the way, it's a magazine I used to, my parents used to get, I used to read it as a kid, but yeah, they sent me a card about a, six months before that was like, do you want to join? And I was like, you know what? I like this AAA discount. I like, yeah. the, <laughs> but membership this is has its privileges. Thing. I don't know if you're on TikTok, but AARP is on TikTok. It is. What? <laughs> so this is going to make you feel old, oh, Brian. Yes, please. So I was scrolling through my For You page, and uh, I see this ad that's like... This is going to make me mad. Here's the like 12 best console games in television and Atari and Coleco era. Mm -hmm. And then here's the best six from the Nintendo original Nintendo system. And it mm -hmm. was an ad for AARP. Oh, my like, God. In their magazine, they have an article on best retro emulators... That's because oh that, is the, that is the Jesus age Christ. of the people going into AARP now. <laughs> I mean, that sounds pretty crazy. pretty awesome, though. <laughs> I mean, that's why I was like, oh, no wonder back in the day, the AARP magazine used to be like, oh, how to tune into your favorite radio dramas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And like how to segregate the races or whatever. I don't know. You, you, <laughs> <laughs> you know what blows my mind? Because it was so up and coming when we were young is old rappers. Mm -hmm. I mean, which is definitely the case. Like the hip hop pioneers are old now, right? Because they yeah. were doing it in the 70s. Yeah. But when we were kids, it was like, oh, that's the new thing. And now, like, of course, they're old rappers. It's been around that long. Still blows yeah. my mind that that's like a thing. I listened to some episodes to catch up and you were talking to someone about like pop music doesn't have like new sounds in it or something like that. Oh, oh uh, we were Kevin talking Pritchard. about Defunct Land. He yeah. was claiming that, I think, but I, I disagree with that. Person. Well, I do think it's slowed down somewhat, but hip hop was certainly one of the things that was like, I mean, rock and roll was a thing. It was like, this is noise. Yep. I don't like this. These kids are listening to this rock and roll, electric guitars. Yep. And then it became very standard. And then hip hop and turntables, like scratching stuff was very much like that. Yep. And then I remember hearing in Mbop by Hanson, there's like scratching in that song. Uh -huh. and I was like, oh, okay, this yeah. is not like noise anymore. This is like <laughs> the bass 
palette that you have to yeah. have for. And wait, 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 this is definitely going to make me feel old. Is that more than twenty years old, Bob? I'm sure. I'm point? sure it has to be. be. Oh, I'm Jesus sure. Christ. I think that came out in 1943, like during World War II. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, Glenn Miller covered it famously. Hold on, Brian. Do you do you want to guess what year that song came out? Bop. Yeah. I'm gonna guess 1993. It was the year I was born. So 97. Oh my God. 97. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Uh, but like, but I do think lately there hasn't been as much of like, here's a new noise palette. Here's a new synth or here's a new thing that like hurts old people's ears, but kids love. If anything, I feel like maybe it's just getting more low tech. I mean, you see it in all of the creative industries, mm. right? It's like the democratization and like availability of tools where, you know, it's a lot of kids making like bedroom pop at 16. That's like super lo-fi. Right. It feels like glitch stuff was new-ish, right? I'm, I'm, I'm sure, like, people had been doing that for a while, and even that is old at this point. But when the, the glitchy kinds of sounds came out, and that's probably 20 years ago now, that felt new to me. Yeah. We need a new instrument. We need, like, a, like a weird woodwind. What can we do? <laughs> Have you ever seen the, uh, the Harry Parch instruments? Do you know about these? Uh, I don't think so. So he's this guy. He was obsessed with uh, gamelan and, and you know, kind of Eastern music, for want of a better term. And he was obsessed also with the 43-note scale, oh, like dividing oh. the octave into 43 subdivisions. And he invented slash ripped off, but really like built himself these crazy-looking blobby instruments, which are super, super cool. Hmm. So look him up. There's, I think that his, his keyboard was called... Is it the Chromalodeon, something like that? And it's like tuned to a 43 note octave. It's fucking cool. Mm. And he would write like specifically for his for his music, for his instruments. See, the depressing way to look at it is that, you know, there used to be a thing of like there's culture and then there's like youth culture. And yeah. youth culture used to be like, screw you, this is the new thing, right? And the, yeah. I would say the cynical, depressing way to look at it is that youth culture has sort of taken over all culture. Mm-hmm. And that there is no, like, adult culture anymore. <laughs> yes. So there's no point in rebelling against anything because, like, the thing that you listen to when you're 12 is, like, the most popular thing in the world. Whereas, right. like, when we were right. 12, it was, like, Motley Crue, Shadow of the Devil, and the adults were just like, that sucks. Like, no yes, one's listening bad. to that. bad. Whereas, like, Taylor Swift is all ages appealing, is, like, going to be the biggest tour of all time. All time. By a, a long shot, too. Yeah. Right. And the same thing with, you know, superheroes, comic books, et cetera, the mainstreaming of the oh, don't get me started on like, <laughs> it's yeah, it's like what even is a nerd anymore at a certain point? Everyone is a quote unquote nerd because all counterculture has become mainstream or the mainstream is so splintered off that the only mainstream that exists is like Disney Fox. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I was thinking about how um, so in the stand up world, Matt Reif has become very popular lately. And bear no ill will towards Matt Reif. Uh, I don't know if y'all know who he is, but um, he's a very good looking young stand-up. You've never heard of him until like two weeks ago. And he just, he sold out like a national tour where the tickets are like $300 each. Crazy. He's a good comedian. He's a nice guy. I don't know him personally. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of talk right now about like, well, what do you care if Matt Reif is doing well or not? Because he is like the most financially successful comedian of the moment. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that. It's like, there's definitely like a Zen approach to be like, you know what? Everybody just have their own success and whatever. But it's like, 
it's not completely true that like the success of whoever is at the top doesn't affect everybody else in the industry. Mm-hmm. You know, that isn't true. <laughs> it, can, it, it goes either way, though, right? Because sometimes, like famously, right, the comedy boom of the 80s, right? Occasionally, if you do get these like Steve Martin selling out arenas, you know, in the 70s and 80s and that sort of stuff, like suddenly comedy is a viable thing in a way it hadn't been probably ever, right? So sometimes yeah. it actually does help to have these superstars, but it feels like we're past that point now. Yeah. Something that really bothers me, I guess, kind of, and, you know, I don't know anything about this guy other than I just Googled a picture of him. And this has always been a thing. I think maybe it's just a little bit more apparent on the internet and with Stan culture. But just the idea of, like, how transparent it is when people think that somebody's a good person just because they're attractive. Um, (laughs) And like, look, I've fallen for that IRL. Sure. You know, we all have, but it it becomes like really, really apparent, especially how much that skews like heteronormative, like cis white Mm. men. It's especially depressing when it completely flips on anybody who does not, you know, look like Chris Evans, I guess. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, less about Matt Reif because, I mean, you know, <laughs> I wish him the best. I mean, I really do. I don't really care. <laughs> I bring this up because you brought up Marvel where it's like, whatever you think about Marvel, like, is it not true that in some way it kind of sucks up all the oxygen out of the culture? That's definitely true. Yeah. I mean, and like if you're someone that wants to make other kinds of things doesn't that affect you, you know? In, in the Marvel yeah. case, 100%. Right? I mean, you know, famously, mid-level movies don't really happen anymore. I mean, they do from time to time, but it's these giant IP bonanzas or, you know, zero-budget super indies, and there's not too much in, in the middle. They also snatch up, you know, oh, this person's doing really well on, like, this TV show or, you know, indie films or whatever. Let's get them into right. a free hey, movie contract, baby. Chloe Zhao, you're, you're a good director. Zhao, get over here. Like, Ryan Coogler. Yep. They snap them up and then they make them direct these films where, like, they don't even get to direct, like, half the movie because, like, the CGI sections are, like, handled by someone else. Right, right. Leighton, does that map to video game world as well in terms of like AAA titles versus your indie Steam efforts or I don't know? I actually don't think so. To be fair, I'm I'm very skewed on the side of being an indie game dev, but I think there's like a certain type of person who will regularly and actively seek out indie games and that's not Mm. necessarily the same kind of person. I mean, you know. Like, I'll play big AAA titles. I enjoy doing that. I also like little indie games. But, you know, it's like a very different vibe. It's sort of like when Dream Daddy came out that had, like, more spread compared to Homebody, which just came out that I co-wrote. And you can get on Steam and Switch and Xbox and PlayStation. Which I already did. <laughs> you did? Huh. That's yeah, so sweet First of you. all, so I was listening to a recent episode and I was like, wait a minute. Leighton made Dream Daddy? Because I love Dream Daddy so much. Really? Yes, oh and God, I Chris, love that. that so I mean, I love that bear. I don't know if Brian? Is it Brian. Oh yeah, thank you. I pretty much only played that game to be like, okay, how am I getting with Brian in this whole thing? <laughs> statistically, <laughs> statistically, he's the least popular dad, and I really, oh, really? love him. Yeah, we oh, have no, the stats. I mean, my husband kind of looks like him, um, but you know, <laughs> I, awesome. I'm like, can I hack the package assets of this <laughs> video game and get to the just the 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 PNG files of Brian. <laughs> um, 
And so then, so then I heard you talking about Homebody, and so I bought Homebody last week, played it over the weekend. Um, what? Yes. Also, got very scared over the weekend playing this game. <laughs> I had to stop a couple times. Uh-huh. Uh, also, just a uh, practical note for those out there, you can play it on a Mac, which I just did. Oh, I thought we established that you couldn't. I also thought you couldn't. But I that's... think I just did. I played okay, it and right. been using a thing called Crossover Games, which basically mm-hmm. creates a container that runs Windows inside oh, okay. of itself. It doesn't actually run Windows. It's really weird. It like basically like translates all the Windows commands into like Mac equivalent commands. Oh, shit. Is it like good? It's pretty stable? Pretty stable. Fun fact, though, it doesn't render all the graphics perfectly mm-hmm. because when I was playing the game, First of all, excellent game. Loved it. Thank you. There's a creepy vibe to the game, I'll say. I don't know. It came out last month, right? So I don't know how many spoilers I've gone out. But it's creepy. That's not really a spoiler. Um, <laughs> so did you all ever read the book Annihilation? Yes, indeed. I've only okay. seen the movie. I haven't read so the book. In the book, I think it's the main character starts getting this like brightness inside of her. That it sort of represents her sort of like turning from a human being into like whatever the thing this is. This is the right? Natalie Portman character in the movie. Yes, I yeah. think so. To be honest, I've read all three of those books and like the characters start to blend together in a way that because I'm. They're it's also so weird. not very distinct in the first place, especially in that first one. It's just like woman A, woman yeah. B, woman C. They all yes. hate each other. Like <laughs> um, that's the only way women can interact. But I did find actually that that like weird fiction place that that book lives in is kind of like where my headspace was in playing Homebody a lot. Wow. That's cool. And so in certain rooms, there was this like big bright light in some of the rooms I would walk through and it would like obscure parts of the room. And I was like, oh, this is cool. This is like that shimmer thing from Annihilation where it's like, (laughs) oh, it's like this is some sort of spooky presence. Because even when I turned the lights off, it would still be there. And then I was like, oh, this is a bug because I'm running it in like <laughs> emulator. a hacked emulation That's version. so interesting. That rules. I got to a point where I was like, I don't know what to do next. And then the, I was in the, a little area where there's, a, I think it's called like the artist studio. I was a little area. I was like, I don't know what else to do. And then I read a walkthrough that was like, you should go look at this thing. I was like. I don't know where that is. And it was behind the, like, the shine. glitch. Yeah, so I had to, like, oh. basically click through this thing that I couldn't see. It's funny. There's two control panels that are blocked by bugs in the Mac crossover version. Oh, crazy. Fuck. I haven't seen anybody run into that, I guess. I, I did not I mean, think that you could even It's like an unsupported Mac. version. You know, it's, a, like, it's an unsupported right. environment. So. I do like that it kind of contributed to the vibe. Yeah. Yeah. The weird fiction stuff like Annihilation, uh, House of Leaves, like Thomas Ligotti, that whole yeah. zone of things was definitely like an inspiration. Yeah. I don't mean to hijack this episode with an agenda. No, no. Please. But, um, Someone should. Have you guys heard of <laughs> Amway? No. <laughs> um, no, because I was thinking about it because I played the game. I really liked it. Oh, and I watched The Bear recently. Oh, we're going to talk about The Bear. Okay, cool. And I have a friend who wrote on The Bear. And both of these situations, I was thinking, like, I really want to talk about, like, the artistic decisions and the process of, like, Homebody in a way that's, like, like, I love the game. I love the vibe. And then there's another part of me that's, like, but I also want to talk about, like, oh, what were the, like, sacrifices or what were the, like, cover, like, you know, like, things that wouldn't be good marketing but would be good, like, (laughs) 
one creator to another. And that's how I felt about yeah. the bear too. Like there are things in season two that I was like, Oh, I, I I'm really curious, like why this choice is made. Cause I, I don't love this choice. Right. But I still love the overall thing. Actually, yeah. what I loved about homebody was that the vibe was so strong. That seems the most magical thing to me is like, you created this vibe. That's like, my skin was like crawling every time the thing showed up. And I was like, why is this happening to me? Like, I know it's coming. <laughs> and I'll, mm-hmm. by the way, one time, it was waiting for me in a very uh, rude spot. Oh, <laughs> was it waiting in the steam? That's my favorite yes. waiting spot. <laughs> I, w- yeah. I was like, I'm going to run around and do some other thing on the total other side of the house. <laughs> you know, and I've been able to hear it all the time. So, like, let me go work on the this other thing. And I was like, okay, I'll run down there. And as soon as I turned the corner, I got... I'm just like, what? what? Like, <laughs> yeah, he, he has little ambush behaviors and there are certain spots. So there's that one yeah. and there's one on the, the hallway on the second floor with the curtains, like those little alcoves. He, he'll yes. wait and you just see the tip of his little snoot sticking out. Well, yeah. One important piece of context, I think, is that the, you know, the, the main person behind the game, Jory, who we've had on the show, is, is a self-admittedly a bad person. <laughs> and he's, 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 he's not a, a good homun- guy. Yeah, he's he's horrible, just has it in for everybody. And that game really does reflect his his horrible, horrible His mean-spiritedness and his... Just uh, misanthropy. I can't can't do this bit every time we bring up Jory, one of my favorite people in the world. Maybe you guys have already done it. I would love to do like a bonus episode where I just ask him all his like gaming decision oh, questions. Dude, are oh, you, my God. We would Chris, we would love ad- to do that. Adore Please. That. Let's absolutely do that. I okay. did not expect you to bring up Homebody. And I w- was like, okay, the moment this ends, I have to tell Jory because he's going to be so excited that well, <laughs> somebody played yeah. it. I guess what I'm saying is like, I'm always interested in the thing of like, I want the baseline to be like, I really enjoyed it. I really think people should buy it and play it. But I would also like to talk about, like, this thing didn't work for me. But, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 But also sometimes people are like, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I just went through works in progress of this show I'm bringing to Scotland. And I would, like, do it for friends. I'd rent a little theater and do it for, like, 10 people. And then afterwards, mm-hmm. I'd say, like, well, talk to me later. And there's definitely a part of me that wanted them to just be like, it was great. No, no. Sure. Always. <laughs> and yeah. I had to, like force myself to be like because they would they would always be like why don't we grab coffee and talk about it and i'm just like oh (laughs) and so i have to like sit through my anxiety in the first like five minutes of like are they going to be like this is all wrong (laughs) or whatever right but the show always get better if i'm able to listen to people i want to put this in context so let's introduce this show and actually say your name Oh, and then we can talk about the show because we do have people in the UK that might want to come see it. So everybody, this is Leighton Knight with Brian Wecht. My name is Brian Wecht. Across from me, we of course have Leighton Gray. Leighton Gray, you can purchase Homebody on Switch, PC, I guess Mac (laughs) also, PlayStation, Xbox. Check it out. Uh, And mystery guest who so kindly played that game. Would you care to introduce yourself? Hello, my name is Chris Grace. And Chris, uh, can you say a couple sentences about yourself where people might know you from or have seen you? Most people know me from a show called Superstore. I'm a TV actor and comedian as well. Uh, I do a lot of improv. Maybe you know me from the UCB, but I've also, I was on Atypical and I was on Pen15 and Broad City. Yeah. Those are the most things that people know me about. Yep. And uh, Chris and I have known each other for, I mean, 10 years or something like that. Maybe probably more now. From the New York City improv scene, musical improv scene. 
Yep, exactly. And uh, have both, you know, stayed in touch and uh, both ended up in L.A. Brian, I've, I've realized recently, finally, the final form of this podcast I've been wanting to do with you over the years. Yes. Yes, which we've talked about for a literal year. I think since years, we first met. But I figured out how I can do it because I know you're very busy. So this, so no Layton, comment, this, is, my, but, this yeah. is my pitch for the podcast. My nephew is going for a PhD in whatever Brian did. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what whatever it's I, I, I believe the technical term is bullshit. <laughs> and so one time my nephew sent me like, here's a summer problem I'm working on. And it was like insane. It was like, is there a thing called like N spaces or something? I don't know. It was, it was some supersymmetry thing, yeah. I think. Yeah. And so my idea for the podcast is how many podcast episodes would it take for me to talk to Brian so that I could understand this question? <laughs> I love that. Yes. That's pretty fun. I think that's great. So my new idea for the podcast is I come to your house once a week. Great. I mean, already sold, first of all. <laughs> I yes. literally turn it on, my recorder on for 20 minutes. And we, I get as far as I can in 20 minutes. And then you give me homework before the next one. Chris, I love this. I love okay. this idea. I think it's great. I mean, I think it might take 3,000 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> but then we get to hang out more, which is always See, win, but like, Chris, you're perfect for this because you have the patience for it. And if I had to spend any more time with Brian a week, I would eat nails. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Brian. No, I, I don't actually mean that. I do think, though, that if you tried to explain math stuff to me, I would just be completely fucking miserable. What I'm fascinated by is that I think regular people like me understand math at a certain level. And then... There's a gap between what we know and what people like Brian worked on. Right. And when Brian talks about this stuff, or like when my nephew talks about this stuff, it sort of does sound like like you're just making all this up, right? Like none sure. of this is real. And so I want to bridge the gap. Uh, how do you get from a normal person to that? <laughs> well, it, this is something I'm really curious about. I remember showing up for, for grad school. Okay. And this is maybe even my second year of physics grad school. So at this point... I've done a bunch of undergraduate physics. I've done a bunch of undergraduate math. I've even done a bunch of graduate physics and math, okay? And I go to my first seminar in that field, and I have literally no clue what anyone's talking about. I mean, maybe the first two slides are, like, accessible, and then everything after that is, like, insane jargon that I've never heard before and have no idea what it means, mm -hmm. much less have some kind of intuitive understanding of. So there's something where... The only way to like really get it is to just get your hands dirty time and time and time and time again. I often think about, there's a famous uh, quote by von Neumann, who was a, you know, like possibly the greatest math physics genius of his generation. Like people would say better than Einstein, you know, just did foundational stuff in all sorts of fields, including computer science. And he has a quote which I'm going to paraphrase because I don't remember the exact words, but it's basically like, no one understands math. You just get used to it. And <laughs> I think that's really true. Like you come up against these concepts, which are very abstract. It's like, what is this thing? It's some abstractly def defined thing. And you learn that it behaves a certain way. This is true in theoretical physics too. And after a while, you just start accepting that, okay, I've seen this thing and it's worked this way for a long time. It's not like a real physical thing necessarily. It's some concept but these concepts in math and physics just start behaving in a way. The cool part is you start having an intuition for how they should behave mm. as abstract ideas, right? So it, it, it's not unlike 
being a musician and you kind of know what chords are going to sound good together after a while. And at first, you know, you're just like, you could sit down at piano and just slap a bunch of notes or whatever, pick up a guitar and it sounds like crap. But after a while, your hands just start moving a certain way. You develop this instinct, like improv too, right? Like at first you're learning the rules, you don't know what's going on. And then you just start developing an instinct for what would be a good thing to No, that hasn't happened to, to me yet. No. <laughs> no. I prescript all my jokes. <laughs> of course, as, as every good improv uh, comic does. Yeah, well, the thing is that like somebody like John Coltrane eventually yeah. like went so far off the pen that his like last three albums are like unlistenable. Oh, I love Coltrane. I was literally actually just just listening to him uh, earlier today. Humble brag. Like humble brag, you know? what can I say? Uh, I know a lot about jazz, uh, but I find those 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 later Coltrane albums, I I can't do it. No, they're awful. And like I'm saying, wh- which of the uh, theoretical physics departments are the John Coltrane's out there? Well, you know what? Some some people would say like all of string theory is that mm-hmm. it, it is theoretical physics the term people use is a uh, mental masturbation, right? Just <laughs> physics, just jerking itself off in the corner. And I, I don't think that's true, but once you start doing these abstract, weird things, you know, some of it is just going to be abstract and weird and not really relevant for anything. Could you so, briefly say why it's not jerking off in a corner? Cause I don't hold that position, but I'm curious what your defense of it is. Well, I think there are, there are a couple things. One is you never know what, is going to come out of the path you're walking down and why it might be useful for someone else doing something. And there are a million, like countless examples of some ancient paper, maybe not that ancient, but some rando result that some person did 30 years ago that, you know, it wasn't useful for anything at the time, but it happens to be exactly the thing you need for the specific thing you're doing. And so you legitimately don't know what's going to be useful to whom. Some some people just do these like god-awful calculations forever, and it's like, you know, these hundred-page papers with just weird results. This is like a very Russian thing to do, by the way. Russians love doing these awful calculations and just like collecting them into papers. British people too, <laughs> Russians and British people. And every so often, you're like, hey, did anyone calculate this thing I need? I could take, you know, five months and figure out this one thing. Oh, look. There it is in this paper with 99, you know, things that no one ever cared about. And the one thing that's perfect and important. And you legitimately don't know what's going to be that way. So I think there's a strong argument for, even if it's not good for anything right now, maybe, maybe it will be someday. And the other thing is, I think it is always good to do things that are interesting to you just because that's how you push the boundaries of, of knowledge. And, and the vast majority of those we may not even know if they're right. Like people aren't going to read them and carefully check them. So that's that's a whole other question. But I think there's a lot to be said for just humans humaning out science in random directions. And that's how you expand things. So I'm not sure I would say that's not masturbation. I'm just saying that <laughs> masturbation rules and we should encourage <laughs> it. Well, to me, it's Good like, I, I think one thing that makes it hard is that I think any like truly like um, self-aware scientist that is humble will admit that they like don't know everything, right? If you don't like, you're not doing science, and any scientist will. Admit so that. then the problem is, is that like then it becomes difficult to distinguish between like your uncle who has like 
That's I right. have these three notebooks full of like why cold fusion works. And I worked it all out. My dad was a nuclear physicist. So like he would always encounter these guys like, sure. that were like, yeah, what you do is nice. But like, I also figured it out just by like, I mean, if you've done the basic math, it all works out. Uh, <laughs> the system doesn't lose any energy or whatever, uh-huh. you know, and it would be like, books and books of like numbers and stuff and then my dad would like sometimes see and just be like that's all garbage like none of that is anything (laughs) yeah that intuition part that you're talking about it's like oh this is what i was actually going to say about homebody uh this is perfect you play a game and you're like i like this game because x y and z or i saw this movie and i liked it because of this whatever these reasons and then you see something you don't like and you're like i don't like that because it had this plot hole or whatever but like to me, it seems disconnected from why people actually like or don't like things. Yep. Because I want to say this in the gentlest way possible about Homebody, which is that Please. there were a couple of times where I would like run into a room and just spin around because like I would like run in and I'd be holding on the key and it'd be running immediately out of the room. And one time I died because of it, I will say. So if you've played back what happened, it was me running away and then just running in a circle and getting stabbed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't care. Like, it didn't bother me at all, right? But there might be some other game where I'm like, I didn't like that game because of the controls. And it's like, wait, the controls were, like, maybe, like, had issues in both of these games. You loved one game, you didn't love the other. And you hold this up as this, like, legit reason to like like one right like and that means that if you fix the controls on that one i would like it somehow but that's not true well the other thing is and Layton, tell me if this is wrong i think in homebody that's a very conscious choice by the designers which i assumed was there specifically to be kind of disorienting i mean i can't speak to that level of the design but i will say that it's like when you have a fixed camera angle game like that, like I can't play Silent Hill. I love the vibe of Silent Hill. I think Silent Hill is really cool. I think the story's total nonsense, but that's not why I like it. It's because of, of the vibes. I just physically can't play it because fixed camera angles are too frustrating for me. And that's just like a personal thing for me. For Homebody, it's like, well, this is a game that I'm working on and I love it. So I, I you know, am fine with it. You deal with it. But you can yeah. also argue that the Homebody controls are like retro in that way of like, Right. This is a tribute to like. <laughs> I mean, that, were... that's 100% what it's doing. And additionally, with like Jory and the team who actually makes the game work, did a patch of you can do tank controls now, which yes. I also can't do, handle tank controls. Um, <laughs> I, I saw that and I was like, okay, I'll try these tank controls. I was like, wait, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> but I think for any, especially for like genre media, I think. For certain things to enjoy them and not get hung up on these, like what you're saying of like, well, I didn't like this thing overall, but I will pick on a small element of it that even if it was fixed, I would still not like this. This is just a tangible thing that I can point at other than saying like, "Ah, I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. But there's a certain level of like bullshit that you have to accept for certain genres, like horror is a really easy one to do where it's if you're going into every single horror movie like well why wouldn't they just shoot them why don't they just run away like you just have to tolerate it because that's how a horror movie works and like it's similar with like a lot of the sort of shenanigans and like reasons I don't like watching anime tv shows where it's just like there is so much information and none of this makes sense and there's too much going on so like I can't get into anime because I can't get over that base level of stuff that you have to accept about this thing. But with horror, once I got to a point where I was willing to accept the baseline thing and not feel like I needed to be smarter than it, mm-hmm. 
you know, you have a much better time. That's interesting because sometimes I feel like the genre elements that people defend for any, any particular genre are like, oh, those are the things that just became kind of like hacky in your genre, like jump scares. Like I just, I hate <laughs> jump scares so much. Like, or, But even in like anime stuff, like I wonder sometimes if with like anime, I'm sort of indifferent about anime, right? But then sometimes I wonder if, like, the thing that I liked was the one example of that genre that the people who love the genre are like, that one sucks. It's for mainstream people or whatever, you know? Right, right, right. Right. Like, I don't know how people feel about Death Note, but, like, I watched Death Note. Mm. And that's pretty much it. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think, like, what people are willing to put up with is fascinating. And to bring it back around to, like, Marvel shit... I'm not willing to put up with it even remotely. You could make the Mm. most technically cool, you know, artsy Marvel or DC movie, and I will hate it even more because this is a thing that I get mad about a lot, but, like, we've entered this realm where, like, people who don't like horror movies and have never liked them or don't watch them are suddenly being like, horror is actually good now because it's about social issues because I watched one A24 movie. And it's like, you Mm -hmm. dumb fuck. (laughs) You have not watched a single horror movie because you're saying only now are they about social issues, which is a shit take. But like, think about the Walmart $5 DVD bin, which I think is completely a thing of the past now. But there's a level of trash that you accept when you go digging through the Walmart $5 DVD bin. You're going to get a DVD for $5 and it's going to suck. But you paid $5 for it and you know what you're getting. Now, movies that could have just been like campy, trashy, horror, $5 bin are all trying to be prestige by adopting the like language and aesthetics of a better movie. And so we can't even just have shit that knows it's bad. Mm. Well, I, I think it's also, it's so easy technologically to have a thing look good in a way it has never been before, right? You can get a very high quality camera for not that much money these days. And so just purely from an equipment standpoint, like it's very easy to to think you're doing great work because you have, you know, an 8K camera or whatever the fuck it is. Yeah. So with Marvel stuff, like there's a base thing that happens in Marvel movies, which is in the fights, physical damage does not matter mm-hmm. between characters. Like people get punched or whatever. And and that just makes the fights really boring to me. There's yep. just no consequences to people getting punched through walls and stuff like that. That to me is like, I grew up reading comic books. Like there's a lot of comic books where that's not true, you know? Yeah. So in a way, I kind of reject it as like, no, don't put that on comic books. Like, that's your lame (laughs) movie. Like, your movie sucks, not the genre. But then also add the multiverse in where death doesn't matter anymore and anyone can come back at any time. Yeah. And then it's it's like they have completely fucked themselves over in terms of stakes, right? Yeah. Like, anything can be reversed. It, it's it's always we're saving the world. But the thing they never really say, now we can't even save the world, right? You have to save the whole multiverse. That's the only thing that matters anymore. Because even if your world dies, okay, there's another one right there that's exactly the same, except, you know, everyone is half an inch taller or whatever. Like, it, no, nothing really matters because there's an exact copy of you right there. I think they really did themselves a disservice, which now everybody is doing, with the whole multiverse thing. Right. And who do we blame for the multiverse? 
theoretical physicists. <laughs> what, what, can, what can I? Well, you know Boom. what? We did it right. We did it right. That's all I can say. Everyone's fucking it up. <laughs> well, I mean, when the multiverse was never, it, it wasn't really intended as like a real theory, right? Wasn't it a thing where it was no. like, it was? I thought it was a thing that was like, hey, here's some equations and like, uh, it maybe works because there's other universes. You know, it, it, it depends on who you talk to. Multiverse is not a single concept. Multiverse is a, there are different kinds of things you can mean by the multiverse. What about multi-pass? Or a multi-pass. It really depends. Like some people believe honestly in the, if you point out in some direction, you know, the universe is just expanding forever. And if you point in some direction and you just trace that straight line, you'll encounter an infinity of universes where anything can happen. Like some people will say that is a real thing. Most people probably won't because we don't know how to make scientific predictions from that. Right. These are the guys uh, jerking off in the corner? Some people would say, yeah, I think that's a valid <laughs> criticism. And this is actually a technical concept I think we can explain very, very quickly. Okay. So one thing that you should be able to say in science is, what is the likelihood of something happening? Okay. You might ask, for example, how many universes admit life? That's not even maybe a physics question, but whatever. It's a, it's a question. And then here's the problem is if suddenly you're in a multiverse, which is infinite, how do you talk about fractions of infinity? You, mm -hmm. you can't. Everything is zero or, or, or infinite. Like you, you, it just doesn't make any sense to talk about things relative to infinity. And so anyone who's talking about the multiverse, the big question, the reason that, that a lot of people would say it's just masturbation and not the good kind, is that you can't say anything concretely. You can't make predictions. So a lot of time and effort go by very smart and not like, you know, unreliable scientists goes into talking about when you're dealing with the infinity of a multiverse, how do you make any kind of meaningful prediction at all? And that's a hard question that some people would say, just don't even bother because you're never going to. And other people would say, well, let's think about it and see if we can come up with something. So far, as far as I know, no one has come up with anything, but there are certainly people smarter than me who would say, yeah, we're actually making progress on that. Hmm. The real masturbation here, and also not in the fun way, is that it's just corporations being like, we have all this IP. How can we get away yeah. with doing this? Let's, no stakes, big space laser. Uh, here's 10 versions of the same character. Let's do it over and over until we all die in the heat death of the universe. Fuck it. I was thinking someone should make a version of the movie Ip Man, but Ip is IP. <laughs> okay. And it's just like a genre director, right? Um, anyway, I think that is what right. is... Uh, that joke was made. I'm going to uh, cross off my list. The, we're we're, <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, we're going to... It's a pass. It's a no Jerk, from us. Le leave that in. <laughs> <laughs> I think the sort of depressing thing about it is, is that just in every walk of life, okay, so, and this is relevant to someone who's just turned 50, is that there is a part of you that can be like, okay, we can keep trying to make the world better. I can keep trying to like create art that makes people happy or make people laugh or whatever. Or, you know what I could do is I could just kind of extract what's left from the world and just do what sort of helps me for the remaining years of my life. And I sort of like don't worry about that stuff anymore. And mm -hmm. I do feel like what you're talking about, like, oh, they fucked themselves because like now no one can die in the multiverses. But they haven't really fucked themselves because the movies still do okay, right? Mm -hmm. So, sure. yes... 
maybe on a 20-year timeline, we can look back and go like, oh, this is when people started being less interested in these movies. But they're still going to extract like hundreds of millions of more dollars from it as it dies, you know? Sure. They, they don't need to be billion-dollar movies. It's okay if they only make 200 million or whatever, right? Yeah. It makes me so sad, like, when I see somebody that you thought was, like, a like an, like an activist or something or whatever, any public figure, and then they're like, oh, they're just, like, now they're just on the grift. And, like, that's sort of it for them. Like, they figured out their positioning and they're just going to kind of cash in. And, uh, you yeah. know, it's sad. And also, I'm like, how do I get to that point? Because uh, I'm ready to, I'm ready to <laughs> cash in. Where's my grift? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, because there is an availability, right? Like, any of us could... Go on Twitter and say things that pissed people off and sure. rage rage farm it for money. And also, you know, the sad thing is, is like that I also think like anybody can do that. And the sad thing would be like if I went and did that and I was like not that successful. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wait, some of these people are, actually does take some talent to do like what yeah, they're doing. To, to really <laughs> piss people off. Yeah, yeah yes. it's like it, eliminating that feeling of shame. I mean, because I think we've seen so many people kind of collectively do the right wing or fundamentalist pivot because it's very easy to get. I mean, maybe it's not easy, but if you have no sense of shame and are fine with completely humiliating yourself on a daily basis, you can do it and you get money. Yeah. Well, I think there's lots of people that are like, they generally believe in science but that they can look at the stuff Brian's saying and just be like, these guys don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Like, why are you going to believe them about X, Y, or Z public health issue? Because, like, look, sure. first of all, they don't even agree amongst themselves. Second, I found this one guy that says the the guys who believe in string theory are total jerks and, like, they don't know what they're talking about. So, like, why are we trusting them as an authority, you know? People call this the string wars. I do want to actually talk about you. For a while, since you're the guest yeah. on this show, so I wrote down. I said a couple times. I want to hear more about your uh, your friend show. Okay, my friend show is called Chris Grace as Scarlett Johansson, mm-hmm. and this is me doing a biographical one person show about Scarlett Johansson, mm-hmm. uh, inspired by Scarlett Johansson's decisions where she feels she can play any person in the world, no matter what their background. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I felt like I could do the same thing. <laughs> and portray her, basically. That's basically where it started. And it's like um, become this sort of container for like all my thoughts about <laughs> like racism and and casting yeah. and all that stuff. But it's been really interesting. Like I'm very, very proud of my approach to this sort of separate from however well this does. I'm just proud of the fact that like I have iterated on this show a bunch of times. I have like done works in progress of it. I've just did Hollywood Fringe. And I'm continuing to work on it and I'm letting like sort of all my thoughts about it sort of inform, you know, the drafts, the revisions that I do. And it's been really interesting. Almost all the good ideas I have in this show, like they came to me sort of intuitively or from my unconscious, just sort of living with the script for this year, uh, sort Mm -hmm. of started it in like January. And so as opposed to like, sitting down and like sweating and being like, okay, what's, I got to think of something really good at this moment right now. It'll mm-hmm. happen. Like basically like a couple of the things are things I sort of like accidentally did in, in a performance. And then I just sort of captured that Hollywood fringe, like maybe one of the performances I came up with like two new better ways to say something that just like crystallized it for me better than it did before. But like, if I do that enough times, I'm like adding a bunch of like good new stuff to the show. And so yeah. that's been really rewarding to see the show develop. 
And this is a totally, it's like a one, just a one person thing. You wrote all, all of yeah. it. It's all you, right? Yeah, it's all me. And when I started it in January, it was very lectury. It was very much like, you know, these are the things I think are bad in the world. And my friend Rob Stern actually gave me a really good note. He was like, you're saying a lot of things that are correct, but you're saying things that I know already. And that's not really why we go to art, you know? You can construct a show about like, diversity and racism and casting that basically checks all the boxes about like the things you're supposed to say about it. But because I have lived, lived in this body my whole life, I should have like deeper insight into these things. And so I've been sort of like trying to be, have my antenna up for like when those moments happen. And like some of them have happened like very just spontaneously. So anyway, I'm just happy with that part. And so the show is very interesting still for me to perform. Mm. And so, like, I'm going to Scotland. I'm going to do it 27 times in a row. Oh, my That's God. Amazing. That is a very large number of times. Yeah. How many times yeah. have you done it by now? I have did six at the Hollywood Fringe, and I did, like, three work-in-progress performances of it. So, I mean, it's going to evolve a lot, I expect. So I'm excited to see where it is after the Fringe. It's funny, when you do like a work through or read through for your friends, like it's not nearly as satisfying as it is for like strangers. <laughs> right. Because they're all comedians or artists or playwrights or whatever. And so they have like legit, you know, good constructive criticism, but it's like, it doesn't feel but that is anyone going to care? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One thing I did learn this year is that like, we're always talking about how, you know, artists, you should go out there and you should fail often. And an expert is someone who's made all of the available mistakes within a, you know, a narrow field of study or whatever. So just go out there and embrace failure. And really, you learn more from failure than you from success. Or I was like, yeah, but it feels bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. That they don't talk about that that much. That just like, yeah, I mean, I know I learned less from success, but like, but it's fun. <laughs> it's like I did it at, in Austin at the Fusebox Festival and I got a standing ovation. I was like, you know what I learned? I learned that standing ovations are awesome. Like, right. uh, you know. Well, and also when you, when you have like artist friends give you advice, audiences might not give a shit about that at all. Right. Mm. Like it might just be like the audience is responding to, some other thing like wow they, they thought you looked awesome in that costume you know like <laughs> yeah that, that's, that's, and that's all they not, care about that was definitely not the reason <laughs> but you know what i mean like the stuff they care about is 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 sometimes much more surface than any artist friend is going to do back when i used to do like a lot of public speaking and doing talks and stuff you know friends would be like oh we'd be happy to sit and have you do it for us and like I am perfectly, I mean, I'm not perfectly fine. I will have fear shits all day leading up to it, but I'm perfectly fine doing a talk in front of like a bunch of strangers. If it's a room of my friends, I want to self-immolate. It's like too much. It's too close. Yeah, because you care what they actually think. Yeah, but I also think there's a nice thing that you have with people that you've worked really closely with or that you know really well. Like, I feel like Vernon and I have this really great creative relationship in a post-Dream Daddy society where like, I think both of us know what are like crutch things are. And I think mm. it's a thing that other people would not be able to point out, but we're able to like be on each other about like, here's this thing that you do all the time. Nobody else would notice it, but I know you well enough that I know that this is what you do. <laughs> so maybe mm -hmm. like push it in a different direction. Yeah, I wrote this script and I had to help my friend, John Accardo, who's a magician. I helped him write his 
Edinburgh show for 2019. And there is a narrative construct in my show that I was like, oh, this is exactly the same as the one in John's show. <laughs> uh-huh. And I was like, well, this is just, this is my style. Homage. This is, yeah, right. this is my, uh, this is my <laughs> trademark. Aaron Sorkin plagiarizes from himself. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the other thing that I think about a lot, which is the having high uh, personal wait, I just standards. Say, I just want to yes, say please, that for, pa- for Patreon members yes. who can see the video, um, Layton's water bottle, I thought was a bottle of hand sanitizer. <laughs> <laughs> so it yeah. really looked like you're just drinking. Getting some. wild. <laughs> Sorry, Brian, go ahead. No, 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 it's all good. I think a lot about, you know, having high standards for yourself and that getting in the way of actually getting shit out there and doing it and, you know, just putting the fucking thing out. Another thing that people talk about is the Ira Glass thing that's like, you know, I did radio for so long and, (laughs) uh, you know, you're not going to, you have such great taste at the beginning, right? And, but your taste hasn't caught up with your skills. And here's a radio thing that I did when I was eight years in. And it's not very good. And I was like, yeah, but underestimating how bad it feels to go through. Like, <laughs> like, it's, it's, fun, it's funny to me that we're just like, yeah, I mean, just keep going or whatever. I mean, but it's hard to keep going. <laughs> it's hard to keep going when you're failing time and time again. This is something I think about as a parent is like, how do I get that kind of resilience into my kid? I, I am used to, from a career in science and comedy, like just throwing shit against the wall, it falls totally flat, and then you just get up and you keep going. And how do you teach that skill of being bad at something yet persevering? And actually, I think one really good way to teach it is video games, where like, let's say there was a game where you just died over and over and over and over again, and you had to keep going back to doing the thing, like that teaches mm-hmm. you, okay, it's fun, you wanna do it. Talking about 12 minutes? Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. The solution is get your six year old to play Dark Souls. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> she watched me play Elden Ring. And like, I think part of that was she learned A, I suck at video games, but B, also, I just kept getting back up and trying it again. Cut to Audrey is playing Homebody and like, like yeah, uh, I wish. please don't play this game. <laughs> <laughs> she did ask me. She was obsessed for a while. I never played the original Dead Space, but I got the remake. And for a while, she would like poke in the room and be like, Daddy, are you playing, are you playing Dead Space in there? She's very curious about horror games, but 100% cannot handle anything, including like the still imagery on the loading screen. Dude, the moment she's old enough, like, I'm stealing your child to show her, you know, the more mature video games that are cool. And also that that one day, one day, she'll play Dream Daddy or Homebody and remember that I'm a game developer, not when it's just socially advantageous for her to trot out that I'm a game developer and ignore it at all the times. Probably not that far from Dream Daddy, right? Like, that's Uh, not... Probably not. No, I mean, by the time she's... At, at the latest 13, that'll yeah. be totally fine. Probably even slightly yeah. younger. And also, A, Brian, because you're in it. And also, right. one of the character creator options is literally only in the game because when she was three, she wanted pink glasses. So that's yep. a fun little detail. Brian, who are you, who are you in Dream Daddy? You're talking to Quizmaster Quinn, Chris. Oh, boy. I had no the, idea I was talking to royalty here. Well, yeah. What can I say? I was almost in the first version of the game. Wow. <laughs> Wait, Leighton, I want to hear what your, like, three cool, like, video game, like... That I would, like, get her to play? Yeah. 
I would like to see if she enjoys an RPG because I really like RPGs. So then it, that would open a realm of like, I feel like, you know, Skyrim is not like an incredible RPG, but I think in terms of like games that would be really fun for like a lifelong gamer to kind of transition into more like quote unquote adult games, I would mm-hmm. like to watch her play Skyrim. But I, in terms of like getting her to play shit that I really, really love, uh, Fallout New Vegas. <laughs> I'm going to make your child oh. play Fallout New Vegas with me. <laughs> That's fine. But that, by that time, I'll be ready to play it with you as well. Yeah. Have yeah. you played all the Fallouts? I've never played one. No, I have not. I've played a little bit of three, but going back to three after playing New Vegas was like, oh, this looks like a shittier game wearing New Vegas' skin. So I like can't uh, okay. stand it because the writing's not as good. I played one and two. But I never played the new ones, but New Vegas is a good one. New Vegas is best in the series is widely considered it's very buggy and if you want to get it to run like mods but but i guess if you have a mac i have a pc down here that i okay uh go through phases of playing games that make me angry that's what that pc (laughs) is for so basically on that pc i play dota 2 and i play Mm -hmm. valorant and those are the games that make my blood pressure explode (laughs) and hate other people we all have those I have uh, been significantly more productive on my Edinburgh Fringe show when I don't play Dota 2. Mm. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> but if you liked Fallout 1 and 2, and I would love to pick your brain about Fallout 1 and 2, because I, I only know like lore stuff. I never have played them. I think you'll fuck with New Vegas because it's just the best. It's my favorite. It's, it's the greatest. Cool. But yeah, I think eventually I would also show Audrey the Dragon Age games, but not Inquisition. Oh, Everybody yeah. nuts never, for Inquisition. I've never played those either. And it's yeah. the weakest of the trio. Before I played New Vegas, Origins was my favorite game of all time. But now mm-hmm. it's, you know. So I played like EverQuest back in the day. Oh, mm-hmm. shit. Do you have sort of like dream spaces of like the layouts of some of these towns like in your head? Yeah. Um, there's towns from EverQuest where I'm like, Wait, is that a place that I went to or is that just a place that I like spent, you know, hundreds of hours in and I know where the merchant, the armor, the guy who sells armor lives? <laughs> yeah. yeah, for me right now, this is actually one of my peaches, but the Dead by Daylight anniversary event has been happening for the past month. Those maps have been in my fucking dreams and it's not cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's cool in one specific respect, but I feel like there's some games that like when you play them, they sink into your dreams and never go away. I felt like that way when I first played Portal and then Portal 2, where for mm-hmm. the longest time I was just having dreams where it was like, why are we not solving this problem with portals? Who has the portal gun? It's easy. <laughs> here, here, done. I think we should move on to segments here since we're kind of doing a what's popping anyway. Mm-hmm. Kind of we should move on to that. That's just a thing I say and that we can keep talking about whatever the fuck we want. But let's at least have the pretense of moving on to the second part of the show. This is the pop culture recommendation section of the show. It's where you get to talk about a book, a movie, video game, whatever, something you've been enjoying recently. This segment is called What's Poppin'? And the theme song, which actually, Chris, if you since you've heard this show before, you may have heard, goes here. What's poppin'? What's poppin'? So now I don't need to frame it as a hypothetical. Yes. What have you thought of the What's Poppin' thing? Let me actually, I'll tell you what I think of the bit. How about that? I don't, <laughs> I, I, like I, that. I don't think I've done a bit. Um, but yeah, you, can, you can talk is, about whatever you're going to talk about. What do you want out of this, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> because my feeling about the song is 
it ends a little abruptly. Mm-hmm. And I also am curious, sometimes it's like, oh, this is the theme song for this segment just because we said the name of it at the end. Um, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but yes. more, But what I'm more curious about is like, what hole is this patching in your soul? <laughs> but by this, can you be specific what you mean by this? This repeated asking people what they think of this. Like, as a kid, were you like, did you make a drawing and like ask every adult, like, would they put it on their refrigerator kind of thing? No, I, I, I didn't. Look, all, all I want is I like to craft entertainment experiences for people. And, <laughs> he's deflecting again. And he's I think what, I, what, what I'm doing like here just, just is doubling down on it. <laughs> yes. It's well, I don't remember saying it in the first place. So is that doubling down if I don't remember doing it even once? Yes. <laughs> and that is male privilege, Brian. Thank Put you it very between much. two pieces of breaded chicken, and that's a double down, you motherfucker. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I listened to the Colin episode, and oh, Brian's yes. commitment to uh, I won't call it a bit, but what you know, your you. interest level of people's opinions was to me, it laid bare. The, <laughs> The desperate neediness behind this construct. That, you know what? So can, can, I be, can I be fully honest <laughs> so with true. you? And so in my brain, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to peel back the onion a little bit here. I had not even considered it reading that way. To me, it was more just a way to annoy people by repeating the same thing over and over and over and over again. So what the actual substance of it was or is has never particularly been important to me. It's just ah. a thing to do that is a recurring way of that, that makes me people. mad every time and puts I me see. in an adversarial position, you know, because when we have people on the show who are like, have not listened to it, which is perfectly valid and good. And I don't think anybody who comes on the show should listen Actually to it. Actually, is preferred. Because then you don't get grilled about this dumb bit you're doing. (laughs) Yeah, because I I love coming in hot at Brian about the what's popping bit. My favorite what's popping bits are the ones where we just yell over each other. Like, I enjoy that a lot. But it takes having a guest who is not going to be freaked out or take it seriously. Generally a comedy person, right? Yeah. But I I, I think it is, maybe this says more about me than, than anything, is I had never considered that it came across as needy constantly asking for positive reinforcement. <laughs> Not even once right. until you said it right now. It's it's laid very bare in the call-in show. See, Chris, my my longstanding issue with the bit beyond I'm, I have to hear it every week is that like, I think the bit would be funnier if Brian introduced some level of variation of mm. fucking with the song. No, that would make it less funny. I could see Brian's point is that it is never different. Until yeah. suddenly, we're on episode one seventy eight. No, though. no, but 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 if I may, if you listen to earlier versions of the show, what happens is it used to be totally different. I used to do a very long introduction mm-hmm. to it, mm. which you know I would over-explain the theme song and my He's influences. We're just letting and, him do it. This. I'm, not, it I'm not doing it. Not doing it. I've never <laughs> done it. Getting away fact, with this. I've never done it. So if you the listen different. to the earlier versions of the show, it was that for a while. And then I stopped and then I found a new thing to hammer home to piss off Layden. And at some point, without warning or reason, it will change into something else. And what the new version of that is, I don't want to know. I, you know, live in the moment, right? So yes. it's, it's going to become something else, you know, uh, V3, whatever it is, uh, 
you know, what's pop in 2077. It's all going to be, it's going to get over there eventually. Is that the year 2077? I mean, potentially. Episode 2077. That's right. When hologram us are doing this podcast uh, in 50 years. Yeah. Eventually there's going to be an AI version of Brian. That's right. Talking to an AI version of Leighton and like it will, it will like what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Exactly. (laughs) It's going to like, it's going to optimize for the like essential interaction between these two AIs and just repeat that over and over. And it's just going to be like, here's the theme song for what's popping. What do you think? (laughs) We're like, we're like capable of doing that because we have like, uh, Brian, what was the thing called that we used to make AI versions? The script. The script. Yeah. Training. We trained it on our voices and, tried it and then we could also train like a, a script ai to well because it just turned into us just saying like come 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 and <laughs> hearing the variations and how the ai Which would change it was pretty turned fun. out to be very funny yeah Layton, what's popping ah what's popping for me is a movie called Cresha which is K-R-I-S-H-A, directed by Trey Edward Schultz, that people may know because he also directed It Comes at Night, which I have not seen. But Krisha is like maybe one of the most excruciating movies I've ever watched. It's shot like a horror movie and it feels emotionally like a horror movie, but it's like a family drama. It's this lady, Krisha, going back for Thanksgiving with her family and the shit that ensues. I loved it so much. I really like a character study, especially when the character is just a pile of shit and is fucking everything up. And I just, I found it like very relatable to like some of my own life experiences. And I just can't recommend it enough because I thought it was like very touching and great. And especially like with the way that it handles like Kreisha's addiction issues and like mental illness stuff. So yeah, I I really highly recommend it. That sounds amazing. Cool. Yeah. And it's it. it's like the score is like really interesting. Is it recent? I don't know, like 20, 2010s, 2015. maybe. 2015. 2015. Yeah. It's one of those movies that always pops up on Letterboxd watch lists of my constant search of lists that's like most fucked up, most depressing, most disturbing. Uh. And it's always on there. And I finally watched it and I'm glad that I did. What's in your other like list of disturbing movies like Audition or... Uh, Bumblebee. I do love Audition. I love Audition. I think it's so good. Audition fucking whips. By the way, I saw Audition in the theater. Oh my God. At like a Japanese film festival, not knowing what it was, not knowing who Takashi <laughs> Miyuki was. And the first 30 minutes of that movie, I was like, this is such a like uh, saccharine romantic comedy what is going on why is this movie in this festival like whatever and then just being batshit terrified for the like oh god oh i tricked two of my non-horror friends i was like it's a rom-com it'll be fun and they were really mad at me (laughs) well no i like i love neo-french extremism like martyrs i love martyrs yay Martyrs is like what broke my taste in horror movies because I I watched it with Dream Daddy's co-creator Vernon and when the credits rolled, he was like, you are never allowed to pick the movie ever again. Oh my God, I love Martyrs. But from that point on, neither of us could stop thinking about it and then it just became like, all right, give me the most extreme shit possible because like that scratches an itch for me. But I love like all of Michael Haneke's movies are great if you want to feel like absolute dog shit trash. 
What other ones do I really like that are extreme? I watched uh, The Skin I Top Live Gun In. Top Gun Maverick. Top Gun Maverick. Uh, the other night, which is one that also pops up on Most Fucked Up, that like was mega problematic in like 10 directions, but I thought it was great. <laughs> I really, really enjoyed it. But yeah, I, I I love fucked up movies. They're they're awesome. Have you seen The Vanishing, the original one? I saw The Vanishing, the original one. I saw in a movie theater in 1990, whatever year it came out. It was 88. 88, or maybe not 88 then. So I saw it in college. It was like, hey, the local cinema is having like once a month they show a foreign film. That's all we knew about it. <laughs> we go and watch. And that movie, again, didn't know anything about the movie was so unsettling and also just does not end the way an American movie would end, clearly. Well, yeah, because they remade it and changed it. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting to chase that feeling, though, because then you end up with a lot of movies that, like, are, like, almost that, but they don't quite do it. Like, there's a movie called Cannibal that starts out really well, but then kind of, Mm -hmm. like, yeah. Things that are fucked up but feel fucked up in the wrong way, like... To shit on Terrifier for the millionth time. I really hate Terrifier. I have not seen that one yet. Audrey really hated Terrifier. (laughs) She loved Terrifier too, though. (laughs) I am usually not the person to be like, this movie hates women, even though that's like a very pervasive thing. But like Terrifier has the most like blatantly misogynistic violence of a horror movie in a way that just feels like really fucking gross. And I heard that two just completely doubles down on it, which is like, Mm. hmm, neat. Interesting. Not as sort of like as much a horror movie as the other ones, but speaking of Scarlett Johansson, I love the movie Under the Skin. Yes. Mika, I forget her name, but the score for that movie is fabulous. Which I'm uh, changed from Hollywood Fringe to Edinburgh Fringes. I think I'm going to use some of that music in my show. Oh, nice. Yes. Yeah, because the thing I love about that score for people who haven't seen it is that like, There are all these sort of like classic love themes that evolve into sounding very off and creepy. Yeah. Mm. Wait, do you mind if I recreate it right now? Do it, Brian. Brian, you're going to just do this. Brian, you're just going to do this. You're going to go, dum, 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 dum. That's all I got to do. Okay. Dum. Dum, dum, dum. Are you ready? Dum. That's perfect. That is 100% what it is. I remember we were in the office and Dan was like signing a bunch of your albums and we were talking about like horror movie scores that we liked putting them on. I told him not to do that, by the way. (laughs) And I put that, one of the songs from that on in like two minutes and he was like, all right, next one, I can't do this. (laughs) (laughs) But but, uh, Under the Skin has like some of the best, like truly alien, scary imagery. Like that scene where the guy just kind of like, so good (laughs) so that that that, like physically like hurt me when that happened yeah because it's 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 completely like unexpected way for something like that to go and it's just so inhuman feeling yes there's also a very off-putting audio cue with it yes it's almost like a metal box like snapping shut is like there's like a to it that's like very like wait that's not the sound that that would make are you into David Lynch, Chris? Yes, I love David Lynch. Big, I, I, I David watched Lynch that latest here. Twin Peaks. We actually haven't finished it, but like there's one episode of the like new Twin Peaks where they're just like, uh, now fuck everything about this show. 
this episode's in black and white. Yeah, and episode about, eight. Episode eight. Right. A, episode a eight. Like, here is the well. True, yeah. deep in descent. Deep in descent. Well, because I love that, like, this new Twin Peaks was kind of like, I felt like he was kind of like, people are getting too comfortable with my stuff. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. obviously his work has, like, informed so much other stuff. There's so much stuff that you see and you're like, oh, this is feels Lynchian or whatever. And then he's yeah. just like, no, nah, I still got it. <laughs> and it, it was amazing. We have talked about it on here. It is one of my favorite things I've seen in a long time. And it's the best big, film know, of the 2010s. I yeah, I, I was a, it's 18 you know, hours, a big but. fan of the original when it came out. And I just cannot believe that the return was as incredible as it was like start to finish. You know, I just I was in Bought in immediately Definitely and couldn't get enough. finish it, Chris. I would be dying to know your yeah, take on the great. ending because the oh, ending okay, cool. is like my favorite part. It's so oh, cool. It's fantastic. Speaking of fucked up audio cues. Yeah. Oh. Is it weird that we're not like into Guardians of the Galaxy considering our tastes? <laughs> <laughs> so have you, have you seen uh, Firewalk with me? Yes, I have. That's like one of my favorite. It's up there with the vanishing and like... The remake of Funny Games is like my favorite movies. Oh, really? Um, Interesting. Yeah, I like the Funny Games remake better than I like the original. Well, one of the things I loved about the Twin Peaks: The Return is how seriously it took the movie. Yes, like because that part is of like the, mythos, the key, right? That's the whole key. To yeah, everything. the show yeah. feels like because I love the turn of first two seasons of Twin Peaks, where it's just like everything is kind of happening around Laura, and then the movie just completely humanizes her in a way that is completely devastating. And then the return follows up on that, where it's like, if you skipped Firewalk with me or didn't like Firewalk with me, you're not going to like the return. No, right. Yeah, it doesn't like act like it didn't happen. It like doubles down. (laughs) No, big time. In fact, and if you you didn't watch that, the movie, you're going to be like, what the fuck is happening here? (laughs) It's great. Someone else needs to do a What's Poppin'. Yes, please. What's Poppin'. Chris? I'll do What's one. Mine is Great. John Early, his oh, new yeah. special called Now More Than Ever. Is it awesome? I love him. He's so um, funny. It is so good. So I love Kate Berlant and I love John Early. Yes. And same. I love them together. I love them separately. It's funny because I have these like stand-ups now that are like John Early, Kate Berlant, Roy Scovel that are like my heroes and they're all younger than me. It's like, I know. weird to have like heroes that are younger than you. But this is what's shocking about the John Early special is the thing that has stuck with me since since I saw it is the music in it is really good. Really? Okay. Like it is a like mock music rock concert documentary and hmm. then he does stand up and then he sings songs and like the comedy is really good but the songs have stuck in my head. Since oh, that's then. awesome. I got to check that out. In one, one part of it he sings After the Gold Rush by Neil Young and like every single day, the melody has been in my head. It's like so pleasing. It's weird because it's like none of the songs are comedic. None of them are ironic. It's like stand-up comedy and then just a song just presented as well as it can be presented and then back to comedy. And I don't know what it is. I mean, it might be like my sort of over comedyized mind of like, Oh, I like it when I like watching a stand-up special where there's like not comedy. <laughs> I don't know, maybe that's what it is. So I, that that is my what's popping. That's great. Sick. I love it, Brian. What's popping? Well, we mentioned it before, but I do want to talk about it. What's popping for me is the bear, mm. and I almost didn't want to say it because people won't shut up about it, and I hate. <laughs> 
talking about anything like that. But and you love being a contrarian. I love being a contrarian. I just like making people unhappy and I hate fun. But so I'm not done with season two. I have a few episodes left. But for the first time in honestly, maybe 10 or more years, I watched an episode of The Bear. I watched it again, and then I watched it again. I watched the same episode three times oh, wow. because I wow. loved it that much. You know, that's not how um, the streaming service is supposed to work. Right? <laughs> well, I hear they get I hear they get more money. I want So these asshole writers are really <laughs> raking them over the coals right now, and I was right. hoping to support the streaming services a little by giving them a little more of my money. Which one was it? It was the episode of Forks, where Richie works in the fancy restaurant. Oh, okay. So I don't know what happens in the rest of the season. They might totally undercut this, but and I'm not going to say anything that's actually a spoiler, but it takes this total like kind of jerk character. He's, he's got a sympathetic side, but he's kind of an, he's not kind of an asshole. He's a straight up asshole most of the time. And it gives him this sort of redemption arc in a really, really affecting way, I thought. Mm-hmm. And it was like, this guy needs a win and it gives him a win and the way that show is shot, it's all like these insane close. They're like cutting off faces in half the shots. It's shot in this really wild way. And I just thought this episode was was so great. I watched it three times in a row. And the, the show in general, I've been very affected by, like in a way that doesn't normally happen to me. With Can I suggest that you put it on three screens and watch it on, that, in three <laughs> screens at once? Sure. Great. That episode... I was watching it going like, oh, this episode is giving me what other people say Ted Lasso gives them. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yes, yes, yes. I cried. I, 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 I've, I've cried every time I've watched that episode. Part of what uh, has like happened to me since getting near 50 and turning 50 is like I started to realize like, I feel like part of becoming an artist is like realizing like sort of like what your individual like superpowers are. Mine are doing repeated bits, for example. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Repetition in general seems like your thing. Repetition in general is my thing. Um, Repetition uh, in general oh, Lord. is my thing. <laughs> if you're going to put it out there, I just have to do it. Sorry. Please. The guy plays Richie. Yeah, his, even Ma I will say his, one of his superpowers is that on camera, he can become vulnerable in like, the quickest time it's almost amazing. of anyone I've ever seen on it's camera. Amazing. So there's a there's a conversation he has near the end with um I forget Olivia Coleman. Yes. Where he just I think asks her like on paper it would just be like something like and why do you do this or whatever. But his face when he asks it is so like a little kid vulnerable. Yeah. And it, it like flips into that so quickly that it's just like as a technician, as an actor, I was like stunned by it. I was like, he's amazing. And he, he takes this guy who, again, on paper, he, he could be like, you know, yeah, this total like jag off dude. And he gives him an honest, like very emotional, very vulnerable side in a, an extremely subtle way. It's incredible. He was also great in the dropout. But if you saw that, the Elizabeth oh, Holmes, he's here. I loved it. Oh, yeah. Right. One of the really strong things about this show is the way that they like realize these these human relationships that like are not that familiar to me. Like like that family yeah. is like not how my family grew up. No, mine neither. But like the very weird way that they call each other cousin. Yes, it's an unk. Who I've never yeah. I've never called anyone unk in my life. But apparently, people maybe it's a Midwestern thing. I don't know. But I like buy it from them. You know, hundred percent. I mean? But but I think on paper it is weird. Like cousin. Like, like wait, that's 
Don't call him that. That's and, he, and plus, he's not your cousin. Yes, right. Yeah, then no one is related the way they say they are. There's another amazing thing about the show. So now there's a famous episode. It's an hour long. Uh, it's like a flashback episode, which is like the Christmas episode. And it's like stunt casting, stunt casting, stunt casting. They take like these huge names yes. and throw them in one episode. And somehow it doesn't feel stupid. <clears throat> I thought it totally worked. In general, I think that show's so good. I will say that the uh, similar to like me saying, you know, maybe the controls of a walking into a room <laughs> and walking around. Or, mm-hmm. I will say sometimes I watch that show. I'm like, does everyone have to yell all the time? Like, <laughs> right. There's a scene where like something is happening and Feck is like trying to. The electrical like, thing. Yeah. And I'm just yes. like, does he need to keep sticking a screwdriver into that outlet while we're trying to hear this other conversation? No, that's right. So he's like fucking with like to some wires and yeah. it keeps like shorting and he keeps going, ah! you know, he's like blowing up. They definitely throw the meters into the red a lot mm. on that yes. show. Cresha, the movie, does that a lot to just like overwhelming you with like, here's a bunch of loud things happening at once. I, I was late coming to the first season, mostly because everyone was fucking talking about it. I'm like, I'm not going to watch the thing everyone's talking about. Out Calm of spite. Down. I don't want to do it. People from New Jersey are kind of like, fuck Chicago. We're 100%. the real- we're That's the right. real whatever. We're the real we're deal. The real we're the real blue collar. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a normal blue collar string theorist, just like anyone else. Yeah. And then I watched the first season actually while we were on tour, and I was like, oh fuck, it's actually it's actually really good, mm-hmm. and I love it. And then I rewatched it going into the, this new second season, you know, a week ago, and I was like, fuck, it's it's even better than I thought. What can I mm-hmm. say? I love it. Brian, can I propose a trade? Yes, please. I will watch the bear. In return, do you want to guess what I want to make you watch? Uh, is it, wait, is it Martyrs? Is it something I would actually watch? <laughs> I would never, I would never, Brian. Okay, no, that's I, tra- what I, I trade I you a good, overly be. popular TV show that nobody okay. will shut up about, but that is actually amazing. You have to watch Succession, and I will watch The Bear. Oh, yeah, I, I want to watch Succession. I just haven't done it yet. Oh, I also want to watch The Bear, but I, you know, I got to, like, okay, fine. bait myself instead of just watching, All right, so we're, like, we're, What we're going to do is we are, uh, for Patreon only, we're launching a miniseries called Suck the Bear, and uh, we will watch Succession <laughs> and The Bear at the same time, episode for episode. Wait, you're doing Sopranos walk, walk through, right? We are yeah, also we are. doing that, yes. Although that's been a year in. We're on episode five. But, Brian, this is not your first time seeing it, is it? So yeah, yeah. What? Isn't that amazing? Uh, yeah. Aren't you from that part of the world? Yes, I just never got around to it, you know? It's great to watch with Brian because he's like when a dog sees another dog on TV, but like for Jersey stuff. Um, yeah, because like Carmela comes in and she's like, I brought that regat pie. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, you just say, oh, that's where I grew up. Totally. <laughs> you can't shop there on Sundays because that's whatever. That's just Bergen County. but. <laughs> <I'm> just, <laughs> No, no, but it is actually something very, very North Jersey. I think this is a North Jersey thing that even if you're not Italian, which I am, as far as I know, not at all, you feel like at least a little bit Italian by mm. just absorbing it around the culture. <laughs> you know, it's it's just there. You haven't gotten to like when they... We literally just watched Episode College from season, season one. one. Yeah. There so. is a thing, because I lived in Jersey City for a little while, and there's a thing that is, there's a moment that happens in an episode later. They travel somewhere and they come back through Newark Airport. Mm-hmm. And the place they've been is really beautiful. And then they go from Newark Airport to their home, and they're just in the cab looking at, like, 
all the power lines oh, and all that stuff. It's the worst. When I saw that, I was like, oh my God, like this is like. <laughs> it, it is unambiguously the worst part of New Jersey. That little stretch of like chemical plants or whatever around Newark Airport. Fucking, mm. it's awful. Also, Just Newark awful. Airport is my least favorite airport. Well, you know what? Actually, so they did recently redo Terminal A. You'll be happy to hear, Layton. And it oh. is a vast improvement. So I Great. flew out of there uh, semi-recently, and I was expecting hell because Terminal A was uniquely awful, and it's actually pretty good now. Well, there you but go. Now it's Terminal great. B is the bad one. I'm oh. I'm stoked for us to get to. I know exactly what moment you're talking about. I'm stoked for Brian to meet Furio. More importantly, I just really want us to get to Richie April so bad. Okay, <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, that show gets it gets so funny accumulatively. Like, yeah, I'm waiting there's for things. That. It hasn't There's things yet. that happen in the last season where <laughs> Christopher will just be like, have you heard of computers or whatever? <laughs> and, it's like, and it's because it's built up over the year or um, wh- whatever his sister is. Yeah, uh, Janice. Where she's like, I'm a filmmaker now. <laughs> like, it's just so, it's, it's uh, so good. Yeah, as it veers into like 2000s from 99 or whatever, it's just fabulous like aj getting really really upset about afghanistan (laughs) yeah you just have to get over the beginning of season two when there's like some bad uh like uh composite digital compositing of Mm -hmm. actors they de-age tony soprano yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah we should move on to peaches and lemons but no lemons one peach each no lemons one peach sounds good Well, normally this segment is called Peaches and Lemons, where we each share three cool good things and one thing that is kind of a bummer or annoying, but fuck all of that. This is now one peach each, where we'll each say one cool good thing that is happening. Episode 178, dialed it in. All right, roll that theme song. One peach, one peach each, one peach, one peach each, one peach, one peach each, one peach, one peach each. All right, great, okay. amazing. That was the theme song for one peach each. Look at if, that. And and you're you're a real late night fan. You're a regular late night, and that's night with a K. If you remember what episode originated, one peach each, which actually wasn't that long ago, but I remember actually. I know the answer to this. Yeah. So step, folks right? at home, d- no, well, don't spoil it. We could have driven Jar, up engagement by getting Jar, them to comment. Jar, keep it in. Anyway, uh, Chris. <laughs> The depressing part when I was trying to think of the peaches, I was like, oh, I'm just thinking of things people buy. I was like, <laughs> you could you get this. Or get. You are so valid. That's like a sad statement. Um, but we'll say that I this is something you can buy, which is I got this steel case leap chair mm-hmm. for my office. And it is actually making me very happy because not to crap on anyone's chair choices because I had the same thing. But during the pandemic, just like everybody else, I got one of those secret lab gaming chairs. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> yes, well, pay no what, attention to this. And then like three months ago, I was like, my legs always hurt. My hip has been hurting. And then I was like, this chair is actually like not comfortable. The secret <laughs> lab thing that I had, I was, I was like, it's almost like by design, like not, supportive or cushy in any way that I want a chair to be. Why Why did I let myself believe this? I wanted this chair? So anyway, I just did a like search for like other good chairs, right? I mean, obviously they're great for a lot of people, but it wasn't really working for me. So I was looking for it and I was like, okay, uh, I'll look on Amazon and see what they have. And 
they're not going to have the steel case leap because it's highly rated and it's typically like $1,500 or something like that. And I can't pay that much for a chair. So then on Amazon, I found one that was $4.99. And I was like, is this real? Is this refurbished? Is it used? Or what's the deal? Like, why is this why is it $1,000 so cheap? cheaper yeah. than the other ones? And I was like, well, I'm going to get it. And it isn't. It's a plain black steel case leap too. And then immediately it went up to like $800. Oh, and shit. I was like, oh. And I was like thinking about getting my husband one. But here's a, the, my pro tip is that occasionally the steel case leap to on Amazon will drop to like $400 or $500 while all the other colors are $1,500. <laughs> and it's like, I mean, I guess if some people might care about the color of their office chair, but I don't. So, uh, and since what? then my body Me has been feeling better. Care deeply about the color of my office chair. No. <laughs> what? what are you talking about? But do you care a thousand dollars about? Right. I don't know. I don't. No. But no. Uh, so that's my peach. Lovely, Brian. What's your peach? So I'm uh, going out to uh, my homeland of New Jersey uh, in a couple days, and I got a ticket to see the Sweeney Todd revival oh. on Broadway, and I've never seen a live production of the show. And it's one of my favorites, and I am very, very excited to uh, to see it. Literally, the only plan I made for my entire trip out there, like concrete plan, was like two months ago. I bought a ticket to see this show. Wait, and how I'm long are you out very there? Excited, just for like a week. This is my pitch to you. Yes, please. Is consider two other shows while you're at okay. One is Sleep No More, which I, I've seen Sleep No More twice. Okay, I <laughs> love sleep. Yeah, sleep I wish no you more. could pivot yes. your camera to show the sleep no more. Yeah, I have a mask on your wall. <laughs> okay, over there. Love sleep no more. My other pitch is Back to the Future. Is it good? Okay, because I love Back to the Future. I love Back to the Future. I'm, I'm not going to so... say that it's good because that's not mm -hmm. true, but right. it is enjoyable. And I will say that it is good in the sense that the big emotional moments that you remember from the movie, they nail. And that's okay. kind of all that matters. There's going to be a couple songs where, like, cut the song, like, play up the song, like, or whatever. Yeah. But the big moments that you're like, this is what makes Back to the Future, those moments, they nail. So I would just consider okay. that. Okay. And Roger Bart is hilarious it. in it. He's really funny. Okay. Because if, if you specifically, a person whose judgment I trust, hadn't told me, I would be like, no fucking way. <laughs> like, because I haven't heard anyone say it's great. I just want you to keep in mind that about at least half of it you're going to dislike right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> speaking of sondheim we're traveling to a wedding uh next week so i'm flying out to jersey and then rachel and audrey are flying to toronto and meeting me there just in time to miss our tickets for into the woods which is playing here mm. so unfortunately i'm missing a sondheim to go see a sondheim take a penny so, leave a penny exactly but that's my peach Layton. So I, you know, as mentioned, playing a lot of Dead by Daylight for the anniversary. I knew it was going to be a Dead by Daylight. Last night, I had a dream. And in the dream, you know, a thing that you can do when the killer is carrying another survivor, you can stun them with a flashlight and they'll get off. It's tricky. But the more elusive one is you can slam the pallet and save them. And last night, I had a dream that I got my very first pallet save. And I was like, yes, that feels awesome. Today, and I wasn't even trying to do it on purpose. It just naturally happened. I got my first pallet saved for real. Look at you. And it felt great. We all died, but I felt like the coolest <laughs> bitch in the world for like five seconds, stunning <laughs> Freddy Krueger and the lady getting away. So I will be riding that high 
for the it, well no I'll be riding it until I have a bad game which I did immediately afterwards and then my roof was ruined so that's how that that's how that game works and the moment we finish here I'm gonna eat my nasty little microwave cheeseburgers and I'm gonna keep gaming baby <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome you know, actually peach. before I forget I wrote down something I wanted to tell you Chris I don't know if I ever told you this it is thanks to you and a Facebook post of yours from I don't know how many years ago that I learned about the sandwiches at the Roma Deli Oh, yes. In Pasadena. I remember Pasadena, you posted California. a picture of these basically saying, like, if you know, you know, kind of thing. And yes. then if I'm anywhere near Lake Street now, stop by the Roma Deli and get the sandwich. That's the ultimate peach for everybody. If you're in Pasadena, California, go oh. get the that, that sandwich. It's so There's good. this little Italian deli uh, market I'm on already Lake. sold. There's a, a man who has been working there for, what, 60 years or something? Yeah. Little old Italian guy. I, I don't even know if he still makes it, but basically they sell pre-wrapped sandwiches. It's like on Italian bread. It kind of varies very slightly day to day, but it's like some combination of like salami and mozzarella, a little drizzle of olive oil. You don't even order it. You just go up and grab as many as yeah, you want. I mean, they you have, have a vegetarian no version. Like you you no. can't be like, oh, I want it's it's whatever the guy made. I'm it's just a, just a giant fucking pile of them on the counter. It's the kind of thing where you walk up and you're like four. Or you just take them, you know, it's the best. And this guy is still hanging out there. He's got to be 90 something years old. He's very, Fuck very yeah. old. And the man makes a sandwich and it rules. Yep. A little Pasadena <laughs> institution. And it's all because of a, a Facebook post from Chris, I don't, you know, seven years ago or something that I was like, <laughs> oh, I should go check that place out. Chris, this was awesome. Thank you for taking yeah, this the time. A, and it's just great to spend joy. time with you. I really appreciate Thank you, you so much. Thank you for Homebody and for Dream Daddy. <laughs> Brian, You're thanks welcome. for um, discovering, um, I don't know, and Space Super <laughs> <laughs> Actually, this year, this, you know what? We did pass the, the 20th anniversary of my big result. This year, oh, the thing yeah. that I am known for in physics. This is the 20th anniversary. Oh, wait, that's yeah. what the podcast should be about. Can I understand why it's such a big deal, whatever you did. Can you, in 20 seconds, in the most technical way, just describe exactly what your big result is? As technical as possible. Don't worry if we can understand it or not. Okay, yeah. With my advisor, Ken Trilligator, uh, who I actually just saw a couple days ago, we discovered a simple way of calculating the exact scaling dimension for a large class of operators in any N equals one superconformal four-dimensional field theory. Okay. That's the goal for me to understand that yeah. sentence of this. <laughs> First of all, I have to be like Kenneth Trigilligator. That's a real Kenan, person. Kenan, Kenan, Kenan Trilligator. Yep. Oh, yeah. And he, he's not only a real person, he rules. Dope name. That's the machine that drove the uh, ship in Hitchhiker's Guide. The the <laughs> <laughs> he's a, a very sweet guy and a stunning physicist. Yeah. Chris, if people want to find you online or if they want to get tickets to your show, where can they go? Yes. They should go to chrisgrace.com slash fringe that forwards people directly to the Edinburgh Fringe tickets link. And it will be updated later if like tour or anything like that. If you're on TikTok or Instagram, I'm Chris Grace Comedy. I am not on Twitter. Wait, am I on Just threads? Twitter Blue. You're just on Twitter Blue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I guess because of that, I'm also on threads and I'm on Blue Sky as Chris Grace. Amazing. Cool. I love it. Well, folks at home, hope you're staying nice and cool. If you're in an area of the world that is hot, and if you're in an area of the world where it is cold right now, I still hope you're staying like toasty. Or this is the end of the show. This is the part where the show ends. <laughs> <laughs> this is the part where the show ends. I don't wow. know. See you next time. <laughs> Possibly the worst ending we've ever done. Bye, everybody. 
or the best. <laughs> or the best. Leighton Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore night, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com. <laughs>